my loves, and welcome back to Your Hero's Quest, where we are exploring the hero's journey, self-development, mythology, history, legend, and spirituality all together, all in one. Thank you so much for being here. Today is the first day of Leo season, and I am a Leo, um, but I was thinking of, of what I wanted to talk about, and I was feeling into Leo energy, which, uh, you know, is that king and queen, the ruler, um, this uh, larger than life, the sun, um, creativity, uh, power, expression, all of that. So, um, you know, and I, and I thought, well, why don't I explore a little bit more my tagline, become the hero of your myth because who better to look to than a Leo, that lion courage to help you become the hero of your myth. When you think of your life as a myth, what, uh, what role are you currently playing? And you can be totally honest with yourself. And, and this isn't, um, you know, something that is where you're always at because of course, like we always say, the hero's journey is very cyclical and life is cyclical. We're always going through different cycles. We're on the up, we're on the down. It's like the wheel of fortune in tarot. Um, so currently, what role are you playing? Are you in hero status of your life? Are you playing the sidekick or the villain? And how can we get you back to hero? Because there is only one person that can be the hero of your life, and that is you. And I think that we can affect the most positivity, change, fulfillment, joy, and bliss when we are continuously stepping into that hero role and observing uh, when we fall out of it and maybe fall victim to victimhood or blame or shame or guilt or... Uh, you know, focused on external or the other, um, and a whole number of things that can get in the way of us being that courageous, powerful leader of our lives. Of course, we all have the power and courage within us to do this. Um, so, but I do think, I, I do want to say that I think it is, it can be scary because it calls us to take full responsibility for our lives when you are in that leadership role. No one else is responsible for anything that's happening in your life but you. And it's a little scary to take that full responsibility because all the roads lead back to you, right? But it's also on the flip side empowering because if we are the ones in control of it all, then we can change it if it's not going the way we want. Um, and that I think can apply to any facet of life, whether it be your mission, your career, your relationships, uh, love life, um, your health, your wealth, all of all of the things. So it's like, when can how can we choose heroism in the face of all of our challenges? And when we want to shrink into the shadows and run and hide or just lay in bed all day and not, you know, face our lives, because I know that I have had many days like that. We all have. But it's really in that power of the choice to continuously be that hero or heroine. And it's like, what would my full hero version of myself do? 
And I know that can be linked to your higher self as well. Like the spiritual community always talk about what's your, what would your higher self do? How can you live and act from this, um, being of your, this embodiment of your higher self. So we can also look at it as this embodiment of your hero self, your heroine self. What would he or she do in situation X, Y, or Z? And uh, I think when you start to observe and evaluate that and live from that is when you start to uh, continuously step into that hero archetype. And that saying, fake it till you make it, or face or feel the fear and do it anyway, I know those are kind of trite, but I think that they are applicable uh, at such a you know basic level because of course, even heroes are feel that fear before you know going into battle or whatever quest that they're on. But we have to just do the thing anyway, and it's really empowering to do it. So, you know. It, fake it till you make it is almost like manifesting because you're in this future version of yourself that already knows the thing and you're acting in it now. Um, and this is a way to, I think, to collapse your timeline into that hero timeline faster. I think also so many heroes that we look up to in tales and myths are reluctant heroes. Um, kind of the that phase of the journey, the refusal of the call. Many of them or most all of them, I guess, want to refuse the call to their destiny and to this heroic, you know, uh, life that they have to live or a role that only they can fulfill. But ultimately, um, they can only refuse it for so long. And it is when they answer that call to their greater destiny, to their greatest destiny, that, um, that all the magic unfolds in their lives. And of course, the great um, effects that their answering to their destiny has on the entire uh, their entire world, universe, collective, whatever um, around them. So, it is important to step into hero and not play the sidekick, the villain, the hermit, or anyone else that is not in that leadership role of your life. To jumpstart this, I wanted to read a quote from my quick quote from my boy Marcus Aurelius from his amazing work, Meditations. This is an incredible work of stoicism and philosophy and just basic uh, principles on how to live your best life and be your most fulfilled. It's brilliant. But okay, so at break of day, when you are reluctant to get up, have this thought ready to mind. I am getting up for a man's work. Do I still then resent it if I'm going out to do what I was born for, the purpose for which I was brought into the world? Or was I created to wrap myself in blankets and keep warm? But this is more pleasant. Were you then born for pleasure, all for feeling, not for action? Can you not see plants, birds, ants, spiders, bees, all doing their own work, helping in their own way to order the world? And then you do not want to do the work of a human being. You do not hurry to the demands of your own nature but one needs rest too. One does indeed, I agree. But nature has set limits to this too, just as it has to eating and drinking. And yet you go beyond these limits, beyond what you need. Not in your actions though, not any longer. Here you stay below your capability. The point is that you do not love yourself. Otherwise you would love both your own nature and her purpose for you. And of course uh, he goes on, but I thought that little clip was telling in that if you're not getting out of bed, ready to be that hero of your life, 
maybe that's a little bit of a self-love, self-worth issue as well, because, um, you know, you were per put here for this divine purpose. And we talked about that in episode two, how to find your quest. And if you are not kind of filled with this passion to do that, um, to lead your life, then, you know, maybe return to the belly of the whale phase and look at those shadows within. But anyway, we're talking about being the hero, becoming the hero of your myth. So let's stay there. When I was doing research for this episode, I um, got led down a really deep rabbit hole of magical swords in myths and in legends. And it was sort of unexpected. And I guess that's the nature of the hero's journey, right? We're always led down paths we didn't intend to go. Um, but uh, so I kind of just wanted to tie all that together, the nature of the sword, what it represents, and how it um, pretty much is the essence of the hero. The sword overall, of course, represents power and in a sense also divine protection um, and uh, even a living force. And in the tarot, the suit of swords represents air, thought, ideas, um, information, and man's will upon earth. And it's, of course, the sword has two edges, right? One good, one bad. It, it's, it's, there's many symbolisms that are associated with it, but you know, the one edge is that of good, of justice. Um, and the, the other edge is the bad edge. And that could be of going to extremes or trying to exert a will upon someone. Um, so it's this, you know, double-edged sword, but the point of the sword has a point, of course, that has the ability to pierce to the heart of a matter, right? So it also represents this deep truth and clarity and, um, and it does have a lot of connection to the divine as well. So it's almost like, yes, it's the carrying out of man's will, but also of the divine will. And that comes into play with how the sword chooses kings and chooses these leaders in these myths um, and their destinies are deeply intertwined. And of course, all swords have a scabbard, which also have a magical sort of uh, meaning, you know, as they are the holder of this wisdom, this truth, this clarity, and um, the protector of that sword. The, it kind of ties the sword to the hero that is wielding it. So when we think of magical swords, of course, the most famous is Excalibur. Uh, we are going to get there. But I wanted to start with a sword from Nordic legend, uh, from Norse myth, and it is the sword Gram. And the sword was used by the Volsungs, which was an ancient family line. And it, um, is brought to a wedding feast by Odin, who is the god of all gods in Norse mythology. And he's in disguise, but he thrusts the sword into the tree that is in the middle of their hall, of their home. Uh, it's made within these like magical trees. So he thrusts the sword in and says, whoever can pull it out um, can have this, this sword of great power. It is my gift. Uh, and, you know, of course, all these diners or the the attendees of this feast of this wedding try to do it and 
Sigmund is uh, a Volsung, so he is the one that pulls it out with ease, and so he's gifted the sword. Later on, it is broken in battle. Uh, Sigmund, I think, is slain, and the um, two pieces of the sword are given to his future son, Sigurd, who later um, brings them to a dwarven smith, Regin, to be reforged. And then this sword is able to slice through anything, wood, iron, without even a thought. And it is the sword that Sigurd uses to slay Fafnir the dragon, who was unslayable without it. And it just pierces straight through his scales. So that sword, of course, is tied to that family destiny, that legacy. Um, and the hero that Sigurd was meant to be and, uh, you know, none of those other people at that feast were meant to have that sword because that was not their destiny. Another super magical and amazing sword is in Lord of the Rings. Sorry, I know I always cite it, but there's just so much to that tale that's just epic. Um, but it is the sword Narsil that was, that was forged in the First Age uh, way, way, way many centuries, if they have centuries ago. Um, by a dwarven smith as well named Telchar. And uh, this sword Narsil's name meant red and white flame, symbolizing both the sun and moon. Its light was meant to be the enemy of darkness. Um, so this is a super ancient blade that finds its way into the hands of King Elendil, uh, who uses it in a battle against Sauron. Isildur, is there the battle picks up the sword and slices off Sauron's finger that had the one ring on it. Um, the blade breaks and Sauron is defeated for the time being. And Isildur takes the ring and the shards of the sword. Um, the sword is picked up uh, from by someone else and brought to Rivendell where these shards, these two pieces of it remain for the next two full ages, just broken. Where, of course, we meet Aragorn, who is the last living heir and descendant of Isildur and uh, these ancient kings. And, um, but he has been living as a ranger named Strider. He's sort of renounced his destiny as Aragorn. He does not want anything to do with the title of king or this legacy that he's uh, a part of. And it isn't until there's a critical point in the story, you know, where the evil of Mordor is just like getting really crazy. And um, this destiny is like pressing upon Aragorn. And the elves of Rivendell reforge the sword and it's given back to him. Um, and he renames it uh, Anduril, Flame of the West. And this sword is a symbol of his destiny, his legacy, his power. Um, by, by finally accepting the sword, he finally accepts his destiny. Where it once was a great burden to him, it becomes this great gift. And he is able to, um, with this sword wielded, call forth this army of the dead that plays a critical role in um, killing the armies of Mordor. And of course, it also gives him that, that uh, status as rightful king of Gondor, and then, you know, 
everything happily ever after he becomes king. It's all peaceful and beautiful. And uh, whoever tries to wield the sword that is not him will face sudden death. So it is truly only belonging to him and his destiny. And it's interesting, I thought, because it's like these swords lay in wait for their owner, their rightful owner, to claim them. And it's that whole, like, is time linear? Because this sword was waiting for ages for Aragorn, the rightful and only heir, to be sort of reunited with its legacy and destiny. And they're so intertwined. Um, so it made me think, what destiny or legacy or thing in your life can only you like have the power to pull this sword out of from uh what what thing are you and you only appointed to wield this sword of power truth clarity destiny and are you avoiding it you know because like i said aragorn cer certainly was and um these swords can go in, in kind of on the down low for a while. And it's easy to want to sidestep from our destiny and that hero status because, again, it's such a responsibility. And, yeah, that can be with, you know, not just your mission, but what's that one thing right now or maybe that you've been uh, avoiding that only you have that deep power to pull from? Um, is it your mission? Is it your relationships? Is there this conversation that you need to have with someone that you've been avoiding um, that really only you have the power to say or to open that door um, or to affect this change of dynamic with someone? Uh, you know, that sword is waiting for you to pull it and be that bringer of truth, of communication. Um, is it your healing, your health? Maybe you fall into the wayside on your health. And, you know, as we all know, nobody can step into our shoes and go on that run for us or make that salad for us or, you know, drink enough water, whatever it is we're supposed to be doing, take vitamins, all the things like we are the wielder of that power to keep this body in its full status of, you know, best working order or your, your wealth, your abundance, your mindset, you know, it's, it's everything really. It's that responsibility for yourself. Um, but, but the hero doesn't shy from this, but is like, sees that sword and is going to, uh, try to take it out of the stone, the tree, um, get it reforged, whatever it is, uh, eventually. <laughs> but my urge is that we don't wait around uh, trying to avoid it like Aragorn did, even though it all worked out perfectly, but um, that it is that sort of powerful leader, Leo energy of, yes, I am that king, I am that queen, I have the power to pull that sword. I have the power to wield that sword. I am worthy of that sword. It is simply waiting for you to fulfill your destiny. And the destiny, whether that is a destiny of a day, a destiny of a conversation, or your life's mission destiny, the hero must be united with his or her sword. Okay, so of course the most famous sword is Excalibur. And 
there's a bit con of conflicting uh, legend around it, whether it is the same sword as the sword in the stone or a different sword. I think it's different um, simply based on the origin of Excalibur, the magical sword, but the sword in the stone was prophesized by Merlin. Um, and basically this sword appears stuck into an anvil on a stone. And he says it can only be pulled out by the one true king. And of course, everyone tries, everyone comes around, there's this whole gathering and uh, teenage Arthur is the one that steps up and pulls it out without a care in the world. So he gets this sword. In one of his first battles during his reign, early reign, that sword is broken. So he's instructed by Merlin to go to this enchanted lake where the lady of the lake, Nimue, gives him Excalibur. That, and that sword, Excalibur, was forged in Avalon. So it also has these magical properties. And actually, of course it's myth, but there is a history of the Kings of Britain written by Geoffrey of Monmouth in the 1100s. And this is, uh, this is not um, mythology. He actually wrote it as a true history, but it's been rejected by historians because there are, he includes Merlin and magic in it. Uh, I tend to think it's the real history that they don't want you to know about, but he says that same exact thing that Excalibur um, was this unparalleled sword gifted to uh, King Arthur by Lady of the Lake, and it was forged in Avalon. He himself says that. So we're going to go with that story. And Excalibur shines so brightly that it blinds uh, his enemies in battle. And it gives him this incredible power when wielded, um, where he's sort of invincible. And actually another story says that it's the scabbard of Excalibur that renders him invincible um, because it protects him from any wounds he gets. And the sword itself is just extremely powerful for him to slay his enemies. And again, it has this bright light uh, that can also be that metaphorical light of illumination, um, of divine protection, of that merging with the divine and the material. And then in the legend, when he is mortally wounded, uh, he tells one of his knights to please return Excalibur to the Enchanted Lake. And the knight follows this instruction, throws it back into the lake, a hand comes out, grabs uh, and, and catches it, and it goes back to Avalon where it was forged and where King Arthur is taken after he is killed. Um, where they say he has in this state of sleep until the Isle of Britain needs him again. In ancient times, the art of blacksmithing was super like revered and it was seen as a magical art. Um, and in, in my research, someone pointed out that water is super important in the art of smithing because the uh, blade or the, the metal must constantly be cooled off by the water. And then I was thinking how that ties to the sword coming out of out of and being returned to the lake, which is water. And also um, that, that whole legend of a sword coming and going from a lake can be seen in many other countries. There was a legend in Vietnam, in um, Serbia, in a Slavic uh, tradition, in Russia. Um, there were a few other ones. 
I just, there are so many that I couldn't cite them all here, but I was like, oh, wow, this is super interesting. So what is the metaphor? I mean, maybe it's also that, that, that again, that combine of the water element with the sword, this, this air, this uh, element of man, of human with the subconscious, the divine, the subconscious with the conscious. I don't know. I thought it was pretty interesting um, and how we must, uh, you know, always be in balance with both on our mission. And of course, the ultimate sword bearer, sword wielder is Archangel Michael, um, the archangel of all archangels. He is the leader of the heavenly hosts the commander of the legions of light he is the highest of them all. He wields more power and uh, has more um, authority than all of them. And he works ceaselessly against the forces of darkness to bring peace and harmony to all. And of course he has this sword that's emblazoned with this blue flame. Um, and it's associated with the discriminating wisdom that we develop as we attain higher levels of spiritual development. Also symbolic of the will of God. And I thought that's interesting because in tarot, it's the will of man. So again, I think it's, it is this sort of bridge between when we wield it. Um, and obviously he was the one who was in battle with Lucifer and cast, you know, slayed that, that dragon of Satan. He's the ultimate hero with the sword. And he does represent the highest level of spiritual attainment. So it's all interwoven on the quest. And one last really interesting thing about that, when I was looking up Sword of Archangel Michael, what came up was um, this thing called the Sword of Archangel Michael that is a ley line, which is like a magical energetic line um that are interwoven all over the globe and often where they cross is where ancient structures like stonehenge the pyramids um, many monasteries even castles um, shrines like those kinds of things are built on these energetic sort of vortexes so there's this this line that goes across europe that is a perfectly straight line and connects seven monasteries or um uh, churches, shrines, ancient buildings that are dedicated to Archangel Michael. And of course, seven is a very symbolic number uh, that connects man with the divine. And they go from starting in Ireland and ending in Israel. So it, it's just really fascinating. And uh, it's perfectly aligned with sunset on the day of the summer solstice. So, you know, I mean, the mysteries of these kinds of things run so deep and I'm learning so much when I, I just wanted to know about magical swords and then I come across that, you know, that again ties into just like light and illumination, all these, these um, shrines dedicated to the light bringer, you know, uh, and the fact that they're aligned perfectly with the summer solstice, which is the day of the longest day of light. Um, so thought that was super fascinating. And um, yeah, I mean, to sum it up, I just, again, what, how can you be that 
sword wielder in your life, you know? And how can you step up to that stone, that tree, and pull that sword out and claim yourself as the hero of your myth? Because no one can do it for us. And it is very easy to ignore our calls, to refuse the call, and to, to want to stay in a life of comfort. Um, comfort, right? Uh, with quotes. <laughs> uh, because it's not comfortable to be in disharmony with our partner or in a state of, you know, maybe a poverty mindset or lack mindset. It's comfortable to claim your destiny. I mean, it might be uncomfortable at first because you're not used to that leadership role, right? But I think it's uh, once you start stepping into it more and more, it becomes easier and it unfolds and you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I was meant to be all along. And as we always say, that's where the magic starts to unfold, right? And it's just that when you claim responsibility, although it comes with, you know, a lot, it's so empowering because you are the creator of your destiny. You are the create, you are the one that will, is there to claim your destiny, whatever that is. You are the co-creator with the divine using that sword as both the will of the divine and the will of yourself, your deep will to go forth and and be the best you can be in this life, live the best life that you can, be that king or queen of your life, that hero. You know, the king often, he wasn't just a figure that sat on a throne and, uh, you know, ate feasts and stuff. He also went out to battle and, and oftentimes was the one who was leading the battle or was the most prodigious of the um, prodigious fighter in the battle and had the magical sword, you know, and everyone looked to him as he was the bringer of the destiny for all. So you really do have that much power in your own life and, um, and becoming, becoming that hero status and moving away from ever playing the sidekick to your own self is really going to bring the most joy and fulfillment, um, even in uncomfortable and challenging times. So, I hope you enjoyed this and um, oh, let's pull a card for a quick message to give a little more illumination on the, uh, the sword, the hero and the sword and becoming the hero of your myth and coming to that place where you can always reflect and ask yourself, what would my hero self do when you're feeling that fear, when you're feeling like, I don't think I can do this. What would your hero or heroine self do in that moment to uh, wield the most power, illumination, wisdom, and good in your life? All right, so we're pulling from the Hero's Journey Dream Oracle as always. Let's see what the cards want to tell us. Okay, we got say yes to your higher calling. Be a human exclamation mark. Hmm. I love that uh, ball of light of that card. That's so pretty. Say yes to your higher calling. Yes. Of course, that hero calling, right? Let's see what we get here. The big question is whether you are going to be able to say a hearty yes to your adventure. Message. Pack lightly. Bring only the most essential so you can be free to embrace each new moment with wide open arms, heart, mind, body, and soul. 
Life is a conveyor belt of never-ending blessings and you can say yes to it all. Then, when it is time for you to release and move on, you can do so with pleasure and gratitude. Deeply appreciate all your belongings, yet recognize that you aren't intrinsically attached to them. Appreciate all the experiences and defining moments displayed in your personal halls of fame and shame, but also know that they are not who you are. Release them willingly to make room for new experiences. Feel the butterflies and sensations of love well up within you and trust that saying yes to the beckoning winds will lead you to the perfect people, places, and situations for your maximum soul growth. You are ready. Mantra, I trust my yes to lead me to the perfect people, places, and opportunities. I love that. I think that gives a good exclamation point to our um, uh, message. And it made me think, too, that the power of the sword does have that power to, of course, cut, obviously. So not only can we use it to uh, wield our destiny, but also to cut ourselves free of anything that doesn't serve us anymore, of any people, habits, uh, you know, non-boundaries, whatever it is, that sword, you can use it energetically to cut those ties and move powerfully forward into all that does serve your highest and greatest good on your path, your mission, your quest, and your destiny. So thank you so much for joining me and happy Leo season. Again, sending you that regal, uh, that powerful, happy, creative, sunny, energy for um, the rest of this, you know, month and into the uh, end of August. Um, and if you enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, comment. I love to hear if you're getting value from this. Thank you again. Wishing you all the best. So much love to you and I'll see you in the next episode.